You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. And welcome to a podcast of Spurious Morality. I'm Johnston, and to talk about uh, some Russell T. Davis Doctor Who with me today, I have Mansour. Hello. And I have Holly. Hello. Um, so we've—I think we've wanted to do this one since we ever first, since we first ever started planning the podcast, and here we are, forty-four episodes later, finally talking about RTD. Uh, so we are going to pick some of our favourite stories by Russell T Davis. We're going to pick one from each season or series. It's not season, it's series. I keep making this mistake. Each series uh, that he oversaw. And we're going to look at some of his other Doctor Who work as well. So spoiler warning, fairly general. Basically, series one to four of new Doctor Who. We'd still call it new, even though it's 15 plus years old now um and other things so we might chat about torchwood we might chat about um damaged goods that kind of thing so uh let's dive straight in then let's go for uh series one christopher eccleston was the doctor it was 2005 and uh the story that i've sort of picked to discuss here is perhaps a bit of an obvious one uh, it's Rose. It's Russell T. Davis' first ever uh, broadcast Doctor Who story, and it sort of set up new Doctor Who excellently, I think. And um, it it, it uh, kind of, I, you know, I had a load of stuff to say, and it's completely gone. <laughs> I mean, it did set up. You've you've said it. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it set up. It set up Doctor Who. Yeah, it's, a, it's basically a pilot. It did its job. Yeah, it did. Um, I was going to say it kind of borrowed an awful lot from a previous Doctor Who reboot, and that Spearhead from Space. Uh, very similar plot. It used the Autons, but it definitely became its own thing, um, which I did. I quite enjoyed it. It was sort of there was enough familiar. 1970s Who stuff in there, but there was also plenty of what Doctor Who would go on to be. Uh, what do you guys think of this one, Mansour? Uh, yeah, it, like you said, it's a great pilot. Like when I, re- I rewatched series one and two in the run up to this, and um, like Rose, it made me think someone's watched the TV movie. Which I love. I love. It's it's like I like that as a as a thing. But someone's watched that and they've learned how not to reintroduce a beloved series and 
they've they've done it very differently. So there's no big lore dump at the start. You start with the companion. Um, it's grounded in the modern day, and it doesn't waste time. It gets straight into like a big high energy montage, and then scary stuff. And the companion meets the doctor, and it just like the pace doesn't let up from there, pretty much. Yeah, it's a thoroughly sort of non-stop, entertaining 45 minutes. I suppose the quietest it gets is Jackie trying to chat at the Doctor in a bedroom, but otherwise uh, it's pretty much action, action, action all the way through, apart from the odd little scene. What about you, Holly? Yeah, it's uh, I, I love it. Uh, I completely love it. I mean, I it's funny that you mentioned Spearhead. I kind of never think of that as a pilot. I mean, I guess you're, you're right, not a pilot, but like a, a reboot, and you are... You are right when I think about it, but like I suppose the big difference between Spearhead and Rose is that Rose focuses so much on on the companion. It's like as much an introduction to her as it is to the whole show, really. And uh, I think it I think it just does that basically as well as it possibly could have done, to be honest. Like it's it's not a perfect episode, but for what it's trying to do, it it pretty much is. See, I think Spearhead does spend quite a lot of time introducing um, companions too, because actually the Doctor's unconscious for the majority of certainly the first episode and a good chunk of the second one as well. And it's very much about the Brigadier and Unit and Liz. Um, and it's it's kind of going, look, Doctor Who's on Earth now, but there's all of these characters on Earth as well. Um, so yeah, Rose does do the very similar thing of, you know, this is Rose, she's along for the adventure, she's just as big a part of it as the Doctor, and you'll probably like her more than him, to be honest. And that's that's fair, it's a good way of doing it. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't think of the Brig as a companion, but that's a whole that's a whole other debate. Ooh. I will fight you. If if well, we get if, if we get a lot of abuse on Twitter because of that. I love the break. I love him. I'm not convinced he's a companion. That's fair enough. We'll we'll do that as an episode sometime. I quite like <laughs> that idea. Holly convinces us that the Brig's not a companion. Um, I mean, there are some people that don't class Liz Shaw as a companion because she never travelled in the TARDIS. Well, they are fools, fools and madmen. Agreed. Did she travel short range in one? I can't remember. Like, didn't she? There was like a short hop or something with Inferno. Uh, oh, she went 10 seconds into the future in Ambassadors, yes. I think. Yeah. yeah. Right, there we go. Then that's it. Companion status sorted. <laughs> I'm glad we've solved that. Uh, Mansour, what's your series one pick? I'm uh, just reminding myself now. Um, it was tough because, like, both series one and two, I think they're just consistently really good. I think series three and four pick up at the tail end, but one and two were just solid but um i went for bad wolf so there's so the first half of the finale but they're, they're both quite different episodes and um yeah it was just there's just so much that's good about it in terms of spectacle and scale when you get into the second half but the, that first half bad wolf is just doing something very different and interesting um, all the reality TV stuff, it's kind of just making a bit of a statement that, yes, all the familiar elements of Doctor Who are here, but we're going to do interesting, different things with them. 
Um, you, you could look back at it now and go, right, some of the specific references are a little bit dated. Um, but I think people still remember what the weakest link was. And Big Brother is still a thing now, isn't it? The weakest link is still a thing. Yeah, weakest oh, link. Okay. Well, it's back, isn't yeah. it? Weakest link. <laughs> the, Sorry, um, yeah. What would you call the Ramesh Ranganathan bot? It, it doesn't have quite the same ring as the Android. Rombot. Perfect. <laughs> Sorted. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's um, uh, yeah. A kid. So it kind of works, and the ending is amazing. It's like if. Uh, if you're ranking cliffhangers across all of Doctor Who, just that moment, the speech at the end, uh, you know, where the Doctor's saying he's coming to get Rose, that's, yeah, one of the best. It's it's not an original observation, but um, I do love the fact that the cliffhanger is, it's kind of the Daleks that are in danger. Um, like, you know, the Daleks have got Rose and they've got a massive army. We know all of that. But the actual cliffhanger is the Doctor turning around and going, I'm coming and you're in trouble. And actually, the danger is with the Daleks and not with the Doctor in that one. And I I do quite like how that plays out. Yeah, uh, it's so good. It's so good. Um, your thoughts on Bad Wolf, Holly? Um, yeah, yeah, everything that you've said. That, that cliffhanger is amazing. It gives me chills just thinking about it. Honestly, um, yeah, I love I love all the stuff. Oh, actually, I was going to say this is parting of the ways, but I love all the stuff with Jackie and Rose and Mickey on Earth. I think it is really what series one is all about: is Rose and her the pull for her between you know her family and and the Doctor. And I think it's all kind of crystallized in that episode. I think that's great. And I don't know about it being dated. I mean, it is. But I suppose I don't think that's really an issue. And I'm, I know you weren't necessarily saying it was, but um, I think it's a very RTD thing to like write just for the now and to not care about how people are going to look back on this in five years and make it, yeah, make it for the audience that are going to be watching it now. And I think that's probably a good call in a lot of ways. Classic Doctor Who was never made to be anything but here and now was it so it it kind of fits in with that as well i don't think doctor who should ever be made with the thought of oh somebody might watch this in 20 years time because that's that's not how it works um holly what's your series one pick um well i don't think it's my favorite of the season but i went with boomtown because i think it's very underrated i love it uh, but also, basically, as the excuse to talk about, well, the word, the, the word, like the term soapy, I feel, gets directed a lot at the RTD era. And firstly, I love a soap. So, like, the use of it as a pejorative is kind of, it's a bit reductive, I think. But also, it's just like not, not very accurate. So, if you look at um, Millie Gibson, new companion, obviously, very exciting. If you look at her time on Corrie, right, she was on it for three years, which is not a long time, and she dealt with that character, like, abuse and addiction and a false murder charge and homelessness and cancer, and she was kidnapped a couple of times. Like, compared to that, Rose has a mum and a boyfriend, and I feel like people point at that and say, that's soapy, and 
yeah, I just don't think it is. It's it's domestic, obviously, but and those relationships are given a good amount of screen time. But I think I think that's a strength, and I get obviously it's subjective, but um, I don't know. I feel that it's portrayed in a really grounded and relatable way, and it kind of it doesn't take away from the fantastical stuff. It it just makes all of that feel all the more real to me because these these more realistic characters are going through all that stuff. It it makes everything feel more gettable, and I think it raises the stakes. Um, so I'm very here for all of that, and I think the Rose and Mickey stuff in Boomtown is a really great example of of when RTD like focuses on the domestic, but in order to show how all that fantastical stuff is um, is impacting on Rose and changing her. I also think that the the fact that Boomtown does take time to just pause and examine the relationships of the TARDIS team and bearing in mind Jack's only just got on board at this point so it was good to see kind of how that character fit into the team but also all that stuff as you've mentioned with Mickey I think that makes everything that happens in Bad Wolf and Parting of the Ways far 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 more sort of emotionally engaging it ups the jeopardy purely because we have just taken a breather with these characters. And yeah, I, I do think that works really well. I was going to say, I think it really redeems Mickey's character a little bit as well. Because in Rose, maybe they were just getting started or like finding a consistent tone for the performances. But it feels like he's in a slightly different show. He's playing it a bit more CBBC. And not, again, that's not a bad thing. But it feels like he's in like a slightly different type of... TV show, and then you get to Boomtown, and it feels much more cohesive, much more real, and he feels like a much more, yeah, believable person. Um, I, I, I had the exact same note. Like, yeah, really good Rose and Mickey bits in that in that episode, and just the whole concept of the episode examining what happens when the Doctor can't just get in the TARDIS and fly away, just like that central concept was really interesting as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I've heard the whole, oh, well, you know, it was all soapy, we spent too much time with Rose's family, that kind of... I've heard it all before, and when you actually think about it, there are very few companions who we haven't at some point met their family, or a member of their family at least. Um, I can't, off the top of my head, actually think of an 80s companion uh, where we didn't meet the family at some point. Well, there's Mel and Ace. But apart from Mel and Days, um, you know, we met Adric's brother, we met Nissa's father and stepmother, we met Tegan's aunt, Turlo's brother, etc., etc. So, uh, family has always been a part of companions. Uh, RTD just kind of brought it a little bit further forward, and as we've all said, it was very effective. It's the point of view thing as well, isn't it? That if if you are going to shift and call your first episode Rose, and like we said, establish her as an equal character to the Doctor, not kind of lesser or in relation to him, then you have to flesh out her relationships and her world a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, shall we drift on to uh, the next series we're going to look at, which is surprisingly Series 2? Um, so Russell T Davis stories from series two we've got a new doctor we've got David Tennant 
obviously it was RTD's job to introduce us to that new doctor and so on um, and kind of get him established pretty quickly. It was a big job because we'd only had Eccleston for one series. So this new doctor had to work. Thankfully, David Tennant was brilliant. Um, so Mansell, what would you pick from series two? Uh, I went for Love and Monsters, which I think was controversial at the time and is still, um, yeah, divides opinion a little bit. Um, but I think it's, yeah, I think it's really good. I think it's, it was the first Doctor Light episode, because I think they only started doing them in Series 2. Um, but I think it's got so much good stuff in it. Like, um, you know, Jackie's been played for laughs at times, and you see a really different take on that character but it still feels consistent she still feels like the same person just like a, you're just seeing her point of view when rose isn't around and um yeah and, and all the stuff with um this group of people that the story centers around that come together um and yeah it's just a really sort of funny um emotional episode i think um i don't know why I'm not sure what it is that puts people off it. Is it like the sort of Scooby-Doo type montage at the start or just... Um, were some people put off by the kind of commentary on fandom, maybe? I don't know. I feel like that would be more gettable almost. But, I mean, I love... Love and Monsters is genuinely one of my favourite stories ever. And it feels to me, and maybe I'm just maybe it's just because I'm biased, but it feels like when I see criticism of it, I don't know, it's people pointing at yeah, the Scooby Doo stuff and then the paving slab and like the absorb off himself. And some not all of that is great, obviously, but I feel like that that ignores kind of the point of most of the episode, which is Elton and, and Linda and Jackie and all of that stuff. And I think that's all just brilliantly done and that is that is the bulk of it. Yeah, um, and, and so it kind, it kind of. Oh, sorry. No, no, that was it. Yeah, and 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 like you can kind of make those things work as well because you have all these like you know beautiful human relationships and friendships, and then the Absorbloff being this big, crass, bizarre creature, like coming in and destroying it all. It kind of works because it's kind of incongruous. It kind of contrasts with the the sort of small, real humanness that the rest of the episode's about. Yeah, that's really, yeah, I haven't thought about that. But, yeah, agrees. It's one that I have to admit that at the time wasn't my favourite, but I have grown to sort of love it over the years. Uh, I think sort of the reason that initially fandom kind of, not rejected it, but sort of weren't 100% sure about it was, it was kind of, in places, Doctor Who played for laughs. It was kind of taking the mick out of it a bit, which is, it's just a little bit too 80s Who. And at that time, people were very aware they didn't want Russell T. Davis Who to become like 1980s Who, because 1980s Who became quite unpopular and got cancelled. Um, so I think that was kind of the initial concern. But as... As it went on, I think we kind of realised that actually Russell T Davies could barely do anything wrong with Doctor Who. I think he just kind of got the formula right and got everything right to the point where 
towards the end of the second series, we were able to kind of have this bit of an experiment, really. And uh, I think it paid off. I think, you know, looking back, it definitely worked and it was a great episode. Uh, Holly, do you have a pick? I do. I, th- I think it's season two. I think it's in my season two box set. Is uh, The Christmas Invasion? Is it? Probably. Yeah, we'll count it. I'm going with it. Um, yeah, I-, I love it. It's Doctor Who's first special and it feels special. It feels feels big and Christmassy and it's just so much. Like, I've seen it a million times and I still have, have so much fun with it. Um, I think it's a fantastic introduction introduction for uh the new doctor and i don't know it's weird because admittedly like at the time i didn't so much you know when i was only five and i couldn't understand why this new guy wouldn't get out of bed and i wanted eccleston back and it i think it maybe is a tough sell for a younger audience but um as an older viewer when you know the doctor's going to wake up and save the day and it's just a matter of when I think the tension throughout is is brilliant. And then the reveal is all the better for having made us wait. You know, the slow realisation with the Sycorax uh, translator is just genius, that moment. Um, yeah, I love it. And then and then there he is, stood in the doorway in his pyjamas and dressing gown. And I think that was when even, like, as a five-year-old, you just, it's like, oh, yeah, no, it's okay. He's here. No, he's here. Yeah. So it's... um. But the whole episode is is great. You know, it's got a sword fight in the sky over London. It's got Harriet Jones. Everyone loves Harriet Jones. It's got Christmas dinner on the Prowl Estate. Uh, yeah, I love it. Yeah, it, it it really kind of immediately sort of... If Rose set up the kind of basic format for what Doctor Who would be, um, Christmas Invasion set up the format for what Christmas would be. Yeah. And it worked so incredibly well. And it was a great introduction episode, and I like the fact that you have to wait for the Doctor, really, to turn up. I like the fact that we get glimpses of him, you know, he he jumps out of bed and has his heroic moment with the sonic screwdriver and the Christmas tree. But ultimately, you have to wait to properly meet this Doctor, and it's it, it's worth the wait. It would, I think it was just such a great idea, such a great way of doing it, um, and far better than just having him jump up and beat the doctor straight away he had to kind of convince rose and convince us that he was the doctor now and yeah i think it was handled in such a great way uh christmas invasion man sort of your thoughts uh yeah everything you both said and also harriet jones was really good in this and i think it's like an example of how like the show at this point is doing character arcs in a in the in a good way so they're not it's not any sort of big convoluted history or like you know hundreds of episodes that you've had you have to have watched to understand things but you've got this character coming back in who we saw previously things have progressed and um yeah it's it, it's nice and then the the conclusion with um you know the doctor effectively de- deposing her um yeah it's i think at that point that had a lot of impact i think as you go forward over the next few years, it, there's a bit of a diminishing returns thing where a lot there's quite a few times where the Doctor does a big speech and that scares people off and then or kind of uses the power of words against them and some of them work better than others. I think this is a good example, though, where it's quite understated and, yeah, and sort of more scary because of that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Ten was a very talky doctor, and it, it, I like the fact that we did get to see Grumpy Ten quite often, and he was always just on the verge of maybe going a little too far, which he ultimately does in the waters of Mars. Well, and really you kind early. of see it. Yeah, you yeah. see it here in the Christmas invasion. Like you get, okay, he is all smiley, happy, jumpy around, he's full of energy, but he does have a bit of a dark side. And, and with the cat nuns in, in the next episode in New Earth, there's a really kind of Time Lord Victorious moment there when he's yeah, when he's talking to them. So yeah, it's like it's, right there, right at the start. And I'm so glad that he does kind of get pushed over that edge. Um, and we sort of see that right up to his very last episode when he sort of grabs the gun in uh, the end of time. Um, he's a doctor that's willing to stop being the doctor when it's required almost, which I guess is kind of a bit of a war doctory concept. It's you know, a way we can look at it in hindsight now. But at the time, yeah, it was it was nice to have that kind of darker undertone. Yeah, it's great in the end of time. It feels kind of feels like it was a long time coming, really. Like as you say, there are we see those flashes throughout. You know, you know, um, like in the Runaway Bride when when Donna has to talk him down, and it's all it's almost always kind of linked to a companion. I feel like it's very um, Ten was a very, I think he's quite defined by which companion, whichever companion he's with at the time. Um, but I like that because people are. People change around other people. Absolutely, yeah. Um, my pick for series two is Army of Ghosts and Doomsday. Um, and when I was picking, I kind of set myself a rule of I'm only going to pick one series finale. This isn't my favourite series finale. That would be series three. But I think this is the one where uh, we kind of got to bring together an awful lot from the last couple of years, the last couple of series, and it all kind of explodes in one kind of mad big event, and it was huge. I remember sort of sat watching the Next Time trailer going, oh, my God, that's a Dalek ray. There are, you know, there are going to be Daleks in it. And it, it was, you know, it wasn't announced that Daleks were coming back. We were never told the Daleks were going to be in series two. In fact, I think we were told that they weren't going to be. So for them to appear and then be the cliffhanger when the Cyberman, Cybermen have already invaded and when there's enough going on with Torchwood, it just kind of, I think it's probably the most epic RTD ever went um, you know, it, I'm not saying that the next two series finales and specials and so on weren't epic, but I'm saying this was kind of where he, he, he kind of nailed that epicness and again established what a big explosive RTD Doctor Who finale was going to be. And then after all of that, after all of that madness, we suddenly have Rose's Goodbye, which was just excellently done it's just one of those perfect moments of writing acting direction music um it all comes together to give us this genuinely quite upsetting forced companion departure i think it was handled really really well and i think there's something really enjoyable about these two episodes despite the fact that they are so dark you do have a global Cyberman and Dalek invasion going on at the same time. 
coupled with some really, really major emotional character moments. Um, what do you guys think of it, Mansoor? Uh, again, like I said, I think one series one and two are both just consistently really good. And um, yeah, and this was like the first Daleks versus Cybermen, which was done done well. It wasn't just a, a massive battle. The the most interesting bit was them just um yeah, throwing insults at each other in a corridor. Bitching at each other. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, yeah. I it's I I enjoyed it. Um and um yeah, and I think the ending was like if you look into like the the writer's tale and the behind the scenes stuff, you see how much Russell T Davies agonizes over the details of things like that final beach scene and what's what's too much and what's not enough in terms of the doctor expressing his love or affection for Rose. Um and I think it shows that it's all just really really carefully judged in the writing and the performances. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, what about you, Holly? Uh, yeah, I I totally agree. I I love it, but it's one that I will never like dip into. I only ever watch Army of Ghosts and and obviously Doomsday. Um, when I've already like committed to a marathon because I find it too sad. <laughs> as a massive as a massive fan of uh, the Tenth Doctor and Rose as individuals and that whole that TARDIS theme. Um. Yeah. Oh man, that ending. Yeah, it's devastating. But it's as you say, it's it's brilliantly done and and there are still plenty of moments of levity in it, like the Daleks versus Cybermen. Um and oh and I also I love um Pete and Pete and Jack's reunion in the corridor. I love that. In a story of, of this scale, as you say, it's it is epic. I love that he finds time for that reunion and it it is brief, but it feels it really lands. Um, yeah, there's just there's so much to love in these. It's it's certainly a better episode for that scene and scenes like that. There are there are a few just little bits, um, just really good character moments. Even something as grim as Yvonne kind of walking to be converted and just sticking to the "I did my duty" mantra. Uh, just little character bits that kind of enhance the whole thing and you really feel as though these people are just trapped in the middle of these catastrophic events. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um so we've we've said our emotional goodbyes to Rose for now. Um and we're moving on to series three. Um which is definitely my favourite uh, Russell T Davis season. Um, it, it does have moments where it dips, but I think the highs are just higher than anything else. Um, I, I just think it's it's a really, really good run. Uh, my pick for this one is fairly early in the series. It's Gridlock, um, which is perhaps the most, or contains the most bonkers thing Russell T Davis ever did, bringing back the macro. Because why not? Um, the idea of an episode set in a traffic jam is just absolutely great. The reason that the traffic jam there is also absolutely great. And it kind of 
you know, we've been talking about strong character work and ongoing storylines and, you know, the series kind of returning to shake its own hand almost. Uh, it concludes the the face of both storyline, which is obviously just part of a bigger storyline. But um, I, I do quite like the fact that we do have this, I don't know what you want to call it. Is it the face of Bow trilogy? Is it the, the New Earth trilogy? Something like that anyway. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's just a fantastic little episode that sets up even more intrigue earlier on in the run. Um, what do you think of it, Holly? Um, yeah, I would I would totally agree. It's another one like like the Christmas Invasion, actually, that at the time I was maybe too young to appreciate. Um, yeah, but... Because, because, but, but that because it's so kind of out there and not not especially pacey um, necessarily, but you know it doesn't it's, it doesn't need to be. It's doing other it's doing other things. And having rewatched it many times since it came out, I uh, yeah, I really like it. I love I love how high concept it is and how kind of weird it is. And um, I think it's really well populated with all those those extra characters um you know Brannigan and what's the guy with the bowler hat I just I just I love all the imagery it's so it's so bizarre and something that only Doctor Who could do um so yeah it's going to mean awful lot I really like it absolutely and am I right in thinking that Gridlock is also your pick from this season Mansour yeah um uh yeah I think for the reasons we've said um it uh, I like the whole loose New Earth trilogy, like uh, you know, the previous two, uh, End of the World and and New Earth. I think they're just yeah three really strong episodes. Um, the Doctor opening up at the end is really good as well, because uh, you've got you know an episode or two of setting up this unrequited love and affection that she's got for him and him just being really closed off and then you have that really really lovely scene at the end where he just opens up and is honest with her um and i really wish that would have kind of been the point where they drew a line under that dynamic between the two of them um but then you get stuff in like the shakespeare code where it's kind of wrapped up if anything um, I think in retrospect, that's the element of the season as a whole that I don't like as much. The fact that that's just drawn out and you get that very unequal relationship between the two of them and the Doctor just showing like a sort of less considerate, less nice side of himself, really. Um, but anyway, that's a that's a season issue. But the episode, yeah, really beautiful ending. Um, and yeah. Like 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 you like you both said, just like the imagery is very colourful and comic booky in a nice way. Yeah, I think it works particularly well. Um, and and it, it's, I have to admit that I um, I prefer Russell T Davis finales to his earlier in the season episodes, but I think Gridlock is the definitely the exception to that rule uh, for me. Um, I, I really, really enjoy it. It's a really, really good, good episode. Uh, Holly, what's your season three? Oh, sorry, series. I'm doing it again. What's your series <laughs> three pick? 
Uh, well, that's interesting that you say about his finales versus earlier ones because I've gone, uh, I've, I've gone Smith and Jones for series three. Um, I just, yeah, I think, you know, we were just talking about, <clears throat> sorry about about Rose the episode as as the gold standard kind of for companion introductions, and obviously it is it is amazing, but I think I think Smith and Jones is just as good uh, in that sense, and it maybe gets overlooked sometimes in in how much it's doing in terms of introducing Martha. Um, yeah, she feels she feels instantly real. You know, all that stuff at the start where she's kind of juggling phone calls with her family. It's it's funny, like it's written to be funny, but it is also relatable. And then the adventure kicks off and she's just capable and calm and like kind from the word go. Um, yeah, I think it's really well done. And things like like setting the whole story in her place of work is a really lovely touch it makes her feel embedded straight away because because from her point of view she is I guess um so I love it for that and then you know it's got it's got the Jadoon who are like a brilliant concept um that like dangerous that brand of yeah dangerous stupidity basically it makes them weirdly difficult for the doctor to deal with because you can like how do you reason with that um so they're great I think they're one of my favorite returning monsters of knew who and then it's got some fantastic performances um but especially Anne Reed who is hilarious and genuinely menacing uh yeah so it's just it's just so much fun it flies by I think it's a it's a series of excellent villain performances um and yeah Anne Reed is is definitely one of them she's fantastic um it, it's a really really enjoyable episode I if I had to pick between Smith and Jones and Rose, I think I would probably just pick Smith and Jones. Um, there are certain things in there that it doesn't do as well as Rose. Martha's family are nowhere near as well uh, established as Jackie and Mickey are at the end of Rose, but it's it's still like a really really it's a really strong introduction piece, and it kind of I like the idea of a companion being taken off earth out of their sort of natural environment uh without it being their choice and without it being uh orchestrated by the doctor so by the time she gets to the tardis she's already been to space in really weird circumstances and it just kind of takes the edge off a little bit and then there's just a little time gimmick that is set up at the start and pays off at the end a nice simple little thing that works really well uh, what about you, Mansoor? What do you think of Smith and Jones? Yeah, yeah, I think everything you said. I haven't got much more to add, and but I, yeah, I agree that Martha's as a character has got a really strong introduction. I think it like it comes back to my slight issue with how the relationship with the Doctor goes over the series. That once she's on board the TARDIS, I think yeah, it's you don't see you don't see her at her best. And I think when she comes back into Torchwood, she's great because, yeah, she hasn't got that dynamic hanging over her that I think slightly, uh, like, yeah, slightly impacts Series 3 a little bit for me. Yeah, you could argue that it perhaps takes something away from the character, that sort of dynamic. And I, I, I think it's something that Russell T. Davis has kind of acknowledged was perhaps a little bit of a misstep. The good thing is it's her exit, at least, like, well, she, you know, she, she's one of the lucky ones who doesn't die or get trapped in a parallel dimension or get her memory wiped. But 
she has agency in choosing to leave the TARDIS, that that that's really good. Yeah, absolutely. And we we really don't see enough of that actually, uh, particularly sort of over the last ten years or so. Um, companions, like you say, have had the memory wipe. They've died. They've been forced to leave for some reason. Uh, there've been very few who've just sort of made the decision that you know what, it's not for me anymore. There's something not right with this time in the TARDIS, and it's as um, in the season by season episodes we've talked about how in the sixties, in the first couple of seasons in particular, uh, the TARDIS is. TARDIS travel's not fun. It's a very dangerous lifestyle. It's a very dangerous place to live. Ian and Barbara just want out of it. Um, and as recently, you know, we were up to uh, series five, uh, season five, the end of season five, when Victoria leaves in Fury from the Deep. She leaves because she's sick and tired of the danger and because TARDIS lifestyle's just not for her. And we don't really get much acknowledgement of that. And it is dangerous. Um... And not everybody can be this sort of thrill seeker that a lot of companions seem to be sort of built in the mould of. Um, Martha leaves, obviously, because of that sort of unrequited love um, or the fact that she's not Rose and all the other things that go on in series three. But uh, yeah, a, a companion choosing to leave the TARDIS, it's not particularly common. And I think that even though the storyline wasn't handled as amazingly well as it could have been, that bit was, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, so we'll move on to series four. Uh, and uh, Donna is now the full-time companion. And Donna was great. Like the, the David Tennant, Catherine Tate duo, there's a reason that they're coming back for the 60th. There's a reason. There's so much excitement for that. Um, they were just iconic. They were, they are one of the great TARDIS teams, if not the great TARDIS team. Um, and there's an awful lot to enjoy in Series 4. The one I've got is actually, uh, it features very little Donna. After a couple of series of there being a Doctor and Companion Light episode, in this one we have a Doctor Light and a Companion Light. And the Companion Light is Midnight, which is just... It's it's claustrophobic. It's it's really creepy. I think it was written at relatively short notice when another episode fell through. I think I'm right about that. Yeah, that rings a bell. Yeah. Um, and, you know, hell of a way to produce something incredible at short notice on a very very low budget it's i mean it could well be the lowest budget new who there's been um but it it's it really play it uses that as a strength and it, it really gives us something special and it it allows writing and performance to make up for the lack of visual spectacle that we get across a lot of new who so um Holly, you go first. What are your thoughts on Midnight? Um, I would agree with all of that. Um, surprise. It's, yeah, it's, actually, you know, it's, it's another one that at the time, how old was I then? Eight? I was eight. I don't think I, I necessarily appreciated, but that's, that's something I think I love about the, the RTD era as a whole, is that it wasn't all 
the, he he took he did take risks and there were there were some really out there episodes and maybe maybe midnight isn't great for the five six seven eight I'll just keep counting year olds watching but um I think it's good I think it's good to challenge kids of that age and um yeah and then hopefully they will revisit it and like I did, and realise how horribly wrong they were because it's because it's uh it's brilliant. It's yeah, it's terrifying and as you say, claustrophobic and technically brilliant as well as in the actual um the copying. It's uh it's really, really well done. It's yeah, it's chilling. It's it's brilliant. I, I really like it. Um and I like that yeah, it's just again it's kind it's kind of something that you would only really see on on Doctor Who, certainly at the time. Um, yeah, it's really good. I can just imagine the actors and the director getting that script for the first time, seeing it and going, like, we have to do what? For how long? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, it's brilliant. It's excellent. It's a really good... I mean, from a writing point of view, it's a bit of a gimmick, really, but it, it's really effectively used and really terrifyingly used. Mansell, what do you think of it? Yeah, I really liked it. Uh, I imagine actors would, I'm discussing, but I imagine actors would have quite liked it as well because it's almost, it's very contained. It's almost like a stage play. Um, and yeah, it is scary. And I think it's scary because it's 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 not just body horror or monsters. It's psychological horror. It's like what happens if you lose control of your your body or your mind. And you don't even know what it is that's causing that. It's not like a Dalek or a or a monster that you can point to. Um, so I think that's part of why it's so terrifying, as well as the execution and the performances and all of that. Um, so yeah, uh, so yeah, possibly done at the last minute, possibly done, um, you know, to save money as well to contain it to one little set. But I think one of the strongest episodes of the season it's it's leslie sharp isn't it he plays sky i think it's yeah i think so yeah yeah yeah. she's worth um worth worth shouting out i feel like actually the more i think about it that is probably one of my favorite villain if you could call her a villain she's not really i guess that's the the tragedy of it but one of my favorite villain performances possibly in the whole show like so good it's ridiculous yeah absolutely brilliant and now, after what Mansell said, I really want to see it adapted for stage. I want to see, oh, I want yeah. to see an on-stage production of Midnight. I think it'd be brilliant. Um, well, that's 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 my pick, um, Mansell. What what have you chosen from series four? I think we're just going in order for the second half of series four because mine's I think so. <laughs> um, uh, turn left. Um, yeah, uh, like this, like this era as a whole and series four. There's a lot of um, like darkness within the the sort of light, colourful um, sort of visual style of, of these series. Um, but I feel like Turn Left is the one where they just go right. Let's just push all of that grimness and darkness right to the front and basically do a kind of Doctor Who version of Threads, where it's just as grim as possible and yeah I think it's just really really it's it, it's they, they kind of go all out with the kind of like um 
uh, like mentioning companions and basically slaughtering all modern series companions, including the Sarah Jane children off screen. Um, but then you get all that stuff in the later part of the episode when uh, the nobles move into the house with the other family and when they're taken away and um, all of that is just, yeah, just like, again, just so, so perfectly judged in terms of writing and performances. Um, yeah, there's just like so many little lines and performances, like when that family's taken away on the truck and then the next scene, like when I rewatched it, that stuck with me as well. Like when Sylvia's facing the camera and Donna comes in and Sylvia doesn't even turn around. Um, and yeah, there's just something about Sylvia's face, the way that um, she's just like completely dead eyed at that point. That's just really, really haunting. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's, and, and then you get into the whole end and the link into the last couple of episodes which is really exciting as well in terms of cliffhangers i put this way up there as one of the most um exciting um but yeah just as an episode in itself i think it's a really sort of unique um affecting episode i was going to mention that scene of the uh like the family being taken away to the the work camp and just that that's got to be the darkest that perhaps Doctor Who's ever got. Certainly the darkest Russell T. Davis ever got. It's a really, yeah. really sort of haunting, powerful scene. Um, and it's and it's 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 like that scene, but it's it's the writing around it and the way it's all structured as well. The way that character um has been so like upbeat, like conspicuously upbeat, like to the point where you know that it's kind of like masking like the, the sort of distress or pain or trauma that everyone's going through underneath. And then that finally breaks down when he sat in the, um, in the back of the truck. Um, yeah, that was, it's, it's how it all fits in the, in the whole as well as just how that scene is played with Bernard Cribbins as well. I also like how the, uh, the stuff with, you know, the people in the housing and, you know, sharing houses, that kind of thing. It parallels with how life was under the master in uh, in the series three finale as well. It's it's really really well done. Uh, Holly, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean it's um, it's incredible. Obviously, uh, it is it is a really hard watch in some respects, but also, I mean it's it's of it it's incredibly grim, but actually it's not unwatchably grim. I feel like some sometimes you know. Well, I mean, that sometimes, not Doctor Who ever, but things could just, like, so relentlessly depressing that it's kind of, why am I watching this? And I feel like, on paper, Turn Left is veering into that territory, but it it never gets there, I think, because, probably because of um, Donna and, and Wilf, and even Sylvia, really, I think, you couldn't hang an episode like Turn Left around just any companion. I think you really need that trio. You know, we know that, that their dynamics by now and we understand those relationships and hopefully we, we care about them. And um, it's kind of that we're like with them through it. And I think it would be difficult if they, we didn't have that like anchor, I guess. Um, yeah, that, that familiarity. Uh, I think it's, it's really effective 
like because of them and it's not it's not just it's not just the concepts and the episodes uh yeah i think it <laughs> i think it needs i think it needs them in it and i think they're they're brilliant and they make they kind of make it what it is on top of all the other all the other stuff that's going on yeah it, it's it is kind of you know going back to what you were saying about you know not being unwatchably grim there definitely are things that I've sort of turned off and gone, no, I can't do this. It's just too much. It just sort of walks that line so brilliantly well. And we yeah. care so much about Donna and Sylvia and Wilf that actually, because we're with these characters, the, there's still that last kind of bastion of comfort in everything that's going on. Um, yeah, and then and then we're rewarded for that when when Rose shows up and says to Donna that she is the only one who can fix it. And it's like, yes, of course she is, because she's Donna. Yeah. She's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it pays off. We already thought of that, Rose. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so your pick, Holly, is obviously the finale. Uh, go ahead. Yes, I I love an RTD finale. Um, and this this, see, I think this is, where he peaks in terms of just epicness and scale. Um, you know, it's been said before by many people probably that this was kind of like, you know, Avengers Endgame 10 years before Avengers Endgame happened. Um, and it really felt that way for me at the time. Like it's huge and sprawling, but it doesn't it doesn't feel messy, which I think is really impressive. Like given the size of the cast, it does a fantastic job in, in juggling everyone and giving them all something to do, but also making it ultimately very much Donna's story, which uh, is no small feat. Um, so, yeah, I think I think what it is basically is a brilliant lesson in how to tell a story with multiversal level stakes, but that's still totally grounded in characters we care about. And even, like, you know, not just Euros and Donna and Martha, it's things like Harriet Jones's death, I find, I find quite affecting still. Um, and then we were talking about cliffhangers earlier. What cliff? Honestly, him almost. Well, him starting to regenerate. I was again. I was. I was eight at the time. I wasn't following announcements about um, how long Tennant had left in the role, so I didn't know for sure that he was coming back. And I don't think I talked about anything else all week. Um, it was just that. It was. It was ridiculously exciting for a kid. And then, and then to top it all off, you get Donna's exit, which is just devastating and brilliant. Um, I think Catherine Tate, in the whole of series four, really, in turn left as well, um, is just astonishing. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I can't wait to see her again. I hope her return in Mysticius does her justice and does this this exit justice, which at the moment I think it is the saddest companion exit. Of all time for me. I'd, I'd struggle to disagree with that, definitely. Um, I know people that absolutely love it. I know people that absolutely hate it. They found it a bit unsatisfying. But I, I, I do love the tragedy that, you know, all of that development uh, that Donna got, all of that time we spent with her, her becoming amazing or knowing that she was amazing, just gets snatched away from her. It's It's brilliantly done. It is, yeah. I mean, I get, I get why it's divisive, and I hate, I, I hate it because it's sad. But I, I think I love that it 
happens, if that makes sense. I think it was, uh, yeah, it's just, it is brilliantly done, as you, as you say. Yeah, it, it's it's another example of Russell T Davis just being absolutely brutal with your emotions as a viewer um, and pulls it off so well. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Series 4 finale, Mansoor? Yeah, everything you said, I, I really like it as an ending because it is so devastating. Um, I, I think one of the reasons people bring up not liking it or, or sort of raising as a problem is the whole consent thing as well with the Doctor doing this, as it seems like, un, you know, against Donna's wishes, um, which is a legitimate thing. But then I think that the, the Doctor isn't always consistent or coherent with moral decisions so it also feels quite real even if it is uncomfortable and complicated um, yeah. and I, I fully expect it's going to be or I hope it's going to be addressed in the 60th I feel like enough time has passed for like that really devastating ending to have existed and sort of not been undone yeah it feels like we're we're so many years on now it's it, it's okay to revisit it and do something different with it i um i'd be very happy to see it undone now i really wouldn't have done if they'd have done it in the end of time but i think that because yeah, that was this, too soon yeah that was too soon but because this time has passed and because it's a you know it's a different regeneration now we don't actually know what the 14th doctor is going to be like compared to the 10th um, one of the things that sort of completely um, underwrote the Tenth Doctor's character was the the Time War guilt, and we don't have that anymore. So fourteen could actually be very different to ten in some aspects, and maybe the way he, you know, he treats Donna, he acts with Donna, and uh, that could be part of it. I, I do want to see where did, this goes. They did learn as well because, like. When when he's in that situation or similar situation with Clara, it's different. He's a he's okay. Maybe it's not as urgent. It's not the you know time isn't as big a factor, but they talk it through. Um, even though it's a bit of a weird solution that they come to, um, with the whole memory loss thing. Uh, but then it sort of takes a step back at other points as well. With uh, was it the Thirteenth Doctor erasing some historical figures' memories? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because there's. The... But not not all of them. Like some of them, but not not others. And then later on, before she went into someone's head, she asked them if it was okay, didn't she? Um, if I recall correctly. Yeah. So she's trying. She's like. Yeah. They're, they're trying to to be better. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how kind of fourteen picks up there if if it happens at all. Um, I guess we've just got a few minutes to talk about uh, kind of other Russell T Davis uh, universe stuff, because obviously it wasn't just four series and a few specials. It was uh, an awful lot more. Um, there was Torchwood, there was Sarah Jane, obviously there was a book that came beforehand, Damaged Goods. Um there was Mind of the Hodiac, which came out last year based on early scripts. It's, so are there any any other Russell T. Davis bits of the Hooniverse that you'd like to give a shout out to? You go first, Mansoor. Um, 
the big finish ones, um, Damaged Goods, is highly, highly recommended. I think it's one of the best things Big Finish have done, um, like overall, as well as being an adaptation of a really strong book. Um, I think on TV, his best non-Who series was The Sarah Jane Adventures, and best non-Who story was Children of Earth. Yeah, Children of Earth was was excellent. It's definitely sort of the point where where Torchwood peaked, I think. Um, Sarah Jane Adventures was brilliant. It, it was. It still had that really sort of modern, up to date Russell T Davis feel, but it was, it was a love letter to the mid seventies to when Sarah Jane was a companion too. And yeah, but Torchwood it, needed to find its feet, but the Sarah Jane Adventures knew what it was from the yeah. start. Oh, immediately, yeah. Um, and anything that kind of wasn't quite right with the pilot was immediately sort of uh, fixed up when it when we got the full series. Um, but it's the Sarah Jane Adventures was the perfect place to bring back the Brigadier, for example. You know, it, it, I, I, it is a shame we never got to see Nicholas Courtney in New Doctor Who, but the fact that it's there in Sarah Jane Adventures it wasn't a Russell episode, but he created sort of absolutely the the right place for that kind of thing to happen. Uh, what about you, Holly? Um, yeah, I was gonna I was gonna talk about the Sarah Jane Adventures. Um, I agree with you on the with the brig as well. By the way, in a way, I feel like it's I feel like it's more special that it was in in Sarah Jane and not in the main show, and that that meant he got to interact with Sarah and you know Liz and um, yeah. I think as having now obviously gone back and watched the poetry era for the first time since 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 uh, Sarah Jane came out, it and then rewatching their reunion in Sarah Jane, it um, it's really it's really touching and it's really it feels really special and you're right that Sarah Jane, it kind of existed to tell those kinds of stories, but it also was very much its own thing. Um, and it was just frankly better than any kids show has any right to be just in terms of the writing um, and throughout. I mean, not just, not just the RTD episodes. Um, yeah, it, it was fantastic. I mean, CBBC does a lot of good work still, but I, I, I would struggle to think of another like drama, kids kids drama that is as actually sophisticated in some places and uh, entertaining and funny and moving as, as Sarah Jane was throughout. I said something very similar uh, when we spoke to uh, Joseph Lidster a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the the characterisation, the character development in the Sarah Jane adventures was light years ahead of anything I watched when I was growing up it was it really was something special and it's I think it required you know that being part of its DNA um, which is obviously something that Russell T Davis brought to it in the same way he brought to Doctor Who and to a more or lesser extent brought to Torchwood as well Um, it maybe took a while but you know Gwen for example Gwen and Reese became very very well explored and developed characters um i think children of earth is definitely a high point for that as well well that is all we have time for but it's been absolutely great talking about russell t davis with you guys um i feel like we've barely scratched the surface um i didn't mention utopia and utopia is one of my favorite 
individual episodes of Doctor Who ever, but I lump it in with the finale. It is. It's a three-part finale, and I was only picking one finale. Um, so, yeah, there's so much more we could talk about. I think the impact that Russell T. Davis has had on Doctor Who is unparalleled. I, I don't think there's anybody else that you could pick out at this point uh, to say they've done as much on the series. And I know that there are plenty of Robert Holmes fans that might be coming at me with torches and pitchforks for saying that. But um, knowing what's coming up in the future, I think it's something that we just can't avoid saying now. It's good. You've you've distracted from me saying that the brig isn't a companion. They'll be after you now. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, Although you've just repeated it. Repeated what? I didn't say anything. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um. So um, we will leave it there, but I will say thank you and goodbye to Mansoor. I don't want to go. Hey. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, you didn't. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> I will say thank you and goodbye to Holly. Goodbye. No, no, I don't want to go. You're like, yeah, I do want to go, actually. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> this is me, Justin, getting out. Um... And I will leave you uh, on the note that the Brigadier definitely does count as a companion. Goodbye now.